that. We've taken a little bit of a hiatus. We uh, took last week off and this last two Sundays. We've just kind of been, you know, just doing yeah, doing family stuff. It's that time of the year, you know. We're going to start doing some more family fun, summer fun stuff. What well, I had something. I, I lost what it was. I don't know. But anyways, um, speaking of summer fun stuff, you know what is a fun thing to do in the summer? Listen to podcasts. <laughs> so go to Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Twitter, Anchor, and Spotify. If you're out on the lake uh, catching you some, some bluegill, listen to us. Uh, we've heard it increases your chances of catching fish by 37%. 60% of the time, it works every time. It works. 60% of the time, it works 100% of the time. So, uh, shoot for that 60. Uh, libertarian, veteran, libertarian Party Veterans Caucus, leading Libertarians to veteran issues, leading veterans to Libertarian solutions. I should probably reach out to them. I don't know if these guys are still alive or not, but uh, I should probably reach out to them, see what uh, old Will and Braxton are doing. Copy some of these. The Ban Exorcism Life Begins at Possession t-shirt. Uh, you know, it's great for family functions, especially if your family's like mine and they're Southern Baptist and then exorcism triggers them. So uh, get these for fun family reunions. It's summertime. Get, you know, so that Ban Assault Government, another one. It'll, all of these will start fights, most likely. That one's actually a really good shirt. I like that one. It's actually my favorite one. But, you know, where can you find them at, you might ask? Well, go to notherrealpodcast.com. That's where you can find everything. And if I haven't said anything about it yet, I can't believe I haven't. The website's been updated, uh, so it doesn't look like a disheveled, sad thing that I put together overnight like I did. Uh, it looks really good now. It's super clean and uh, a lot of fun. Go check out the Lunatic Libertarian. He's, in fact, the Lunatic, and that's 50-50 if he's Libertarian. But go check him out. Um, all the same platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Twitter. No, probably not Twitter. Right, he's on Twitter, I think. I don't know. Just go find him. Just look up Lunatic Libertarian. You'll find him, or you won't. If you don't, then you know he's not there. Uh, Sunday nights, we do bootleg and scour, just BSing. I think. Oh, oh, I got some more stuff here. Redemptionstacks.com. Because if you need, if you were thinking your arsenal was short something, like you were missing the important. It's a ballistic face mask. That's level three A. So it's gonna it's gonna mess your face up when you get hit, but mess all of your face up instead of just a very small little hole going through the back of it. So do what you will with that information. We use Proud Lutein for all of our merch. Go check them out. Uh, and that's it. That's all we got. Um, I've got a okay. My guest is letting me know that my audio is still jankety. Um, apparently, I need to spend a small fortune on, like, audio equipment or something. What is it, like an audio show or something? Jesus Christ. Um, I suck at all, all this audio stuff. Anyone who's watched me do it uh, hates watching me do it, especially if they know anything. Oh, God. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and introduce my guest as you just seen Susie Q crawl through the crevice here. You did not. I seen your butt. <laughs> but um, all right. Uh, without further ado, uh, tonight we have on uh, another very special guest. Um, this will be the 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 last of the known announced LP candidates, as far as I'm aware, that we're going to take seriously. Um, so we've had Mike, Mont, we've had Lars, and now 
we have former Georgia Senate candidate um, placed between he was he was firmly placed between a rock and a dumb place, and I'm not certain which one was the dumb place. Possibly both of them, but unfortunately, Mr. Oliver was caught between them and LP presidential candidate, Mr. Chase Oliver. How you doing? Uh, happy to see you and uh, happy to speak with y'all. Appreciate you coming on tonight, man. I know you were saying you was real busy earlier, but I'm glad you uh, were able to come in and sit down with us and well, have a good time. Well, today I was busy uh, doing things, taking care of at home because um, I'm typically busier uh, these days traveling around and doing some some things that kind of corrupt up on me that I had to take care of today at home. But uh, uh, mostly these days, I'm either traveling around uh, campaigning or uh, doing direct activism like I, I did earlier this week with Cop City. So uh, keeping myself very busy. Yeah, it, it, it tends to be real easy to do is just to get caught up in everything that you're doing. And then you look over in the corner and there's a pile of clothes. You're like, how the hell that show up? I just did laundry yesterday, except that was like a week and a half ago. It's I I, I fully understand. It's quite it's wild how quickly it piles up. Yeah, especially when you're living out of a suitcase a lot of the time, you know, uh, going going from place to place. So it's been a very busy election season for me so far. Yeah, I'm I'm not envious of it. I'll be honest. Uh, a lot of people think running for president is glamorous, but I, I look at it. And I'm like that. That sounds like hell. So I applaud you, gentlemen, for doing it. But can't catch me doing it. Yeah, it does require a unique breed of person, I guess, to to withstand the abuses of of running for office. But I'm kind of used to it by now because I've already done. I run, like you said last year, I ran for the United States Senate, and so uh, this is just jumping onto another. Uh, you know, it's just turning it up a little bit. You know, it's uh, it's turning up the gas a little bit, going from one states. But uh, I think I've adapted really well, and I put a lot of miles in the road, so I've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, that's good. Um, is, uh, just quick question for the audience: Is my audio better now? Does it sound, you sound a little bit better? You sound clearer. Okay. Does it sound far away? There you Does go. Does that sound better? There you go. That's great. That's awesome. All right, let's do it then. Um, yeah, I'm not like I'm. I'm a. I grew up moving around a lot, um, and I've moved a lot here in the last twelve months. Speaking of it, but. Dude, man, being on the road all the time just sounds like a nightmare. And you're not talking like in interstate, you're talking intrastate. So like you're talking, you know, from Texas to Alaska to California to New York. And that's that's a lot of travel. That's a lot of wear and tear. I've uh, put thousands of miles underneath me and uh, I've traveled. To, so, so far in this campaign, uh, I am running for president, as you said earlier nomination so so far i have traveled to 20 states uh plus dc and either done events or been to conventions there and spoke uh and you know it, it's been really really awesome and i'm trying to hit all 50 by the time we get to the national convention next may uh in washington dc uh, i would really like to be able to touch base with every single state and let them know that every state is a state that i value uh, and then I want that delegate input, and I want those delegates, man. I want to, so I can win the nomination and really start the focus and really turn up the gas uh, fighting the two-party system as our party's nominee. Dope. So, 
Um, like we talked about a little bit, traveling has been, you know, it's a big part of this because you got to hit all 50 states, like you said. What is a way that you've learned to start coping with traveling so much? Um, you know, obviously it's a very difficult thing. Have you figured out any tri tips, tricks um, as to like how you just handle being on the road all the time? Or is it just something you're still trying to figure out? Uh, so there's a few things that help keep you sane when you're traveling across the country running for president. Uh, one of those is make sure I bring mask with me everywhere that like completely covers my eyes so it's like pitch black because you know hotel rooms uh it's iffy sometimes as to whether you're going to have that nice dark room or whether you're going to have like a street light you know blaring in through the window you, can, you know even if you try to close the curtains or whatever uh i try to always bring either an, uh have an audio book with me so i can listen to something or uh, a book to read like right now uh my most recent book that i just downloaded let's see because so i just finished they made a Hunger Games prequel novel that I went through. That's pretty awesome. They're making a movie out of that. Uh, so what am I reading right now, though? The next thing I have up is... Oh, yeah. Uh, the works of Henry David Thoreau. So I figured I'd go to some old-school naturist, uh, kind of proto-libertarian writers. Uh, and so Thoreau is one of those. So I'm listening to his stuff now, which is very interesting. Um, but that's... Uh, uh, it's how I got through Milton Friedman. It's one of his books. Uh, just listening to it on the road and kind of gaining inspiration from that. So that's one thing I've I've been wanting to get back into is like reading books. Because every time like I go to do it, like I recently did Jack Lloyd's book for a thing. But um, before that, I haven't read. I don't think I've read a book since uh, since I read The Hunger Games before the movies came out. I think I've reread like Fahrenheit four five one, which is like one of my favorite books of all time. But one book that Susie has started reading, and I'm gonna steal from her when she's done with it. I actually recommend it. It's really cool. Um, it's called The Fourth Turning, by an Amer it's an American prophecy. The Fourth Turning, uh, what the cycles of history tell us about America's next rendezvous with destiny, and it's basically this whole buildup as to how like the U.S. goes through these cycles of like just mass destruction and loss. And they said that, you know, World War II was one of them, uh, the Revolutionary War was one of them, Civil War was one, and we're due for another one. Uh, and they said, what, 2050? 2025. 2025. So they said, like, the next great rendezvous with destiny, whatever the fuck that means, is in 2025, which doesn't sound great. Well, um, I, I highly recommend audiobooks, because if you don't, if, if <clears throat> reading books, you know, if you have trouble putting them down sometimes, picking up, putting them down. Uh, I'm I'm dyslexic and dysgraphic, so like, not the most fun thing for me to do. So I use audiobooks just because it's far easier for me to process that information. Uh, but absolutely, and you know, you mentioned like they're predicting 2025 as like a major change point. Uh, I'm a big Trekkie, and that series, uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. There's a whole episode where they travel back in time to like where society was like on the verge of collapsing a little bit. And it was the year 2024. Uh, and so maybe uh, maybe popular fiction is like they're all kind of hitting the nail on the head. And maybe that's why we need to elect a libertarian president so we can avert such disasters and start fighting for freedom and uh, increasing human liberty uh, across the country as opposed to misery, which is what we've been getting our entire adult lives, uh, particularly since the war on terror began in, in my you know consciousness. I'm 37. So that's really when I started getting really politically aware uh, and it seems like we need somebody to put the, not just put on the brakes, but like start r ripping things backwards and uh, fixing what we've done. Cause there's a lot of stuff 
that has taken root over the last 20 uh, that is, needs to be torn up root and stem, like the national security state post 9-11, right? There's a whole generation of kids out there who don't understand that there was a world before your privacy could be completely invaded by government without any kind of warrant or due process. Uh, the, 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 the empire, the, the imperialistic state that we have around the world and the fact that we've increased our military footprint since 9-11. A whole generation of kids who don't understand that the, the United States should not be perpetually at war right now, right? Uh, and you can go on and on and on, even down to like the TSA, the fact that, you know, we used to not have to take our shoes off at the airport and we were still very, very safe. And that it wasn't failure of airport security that ultimately led to what happened and uh, in, on 9-11. And then the TSA doesn't really do a much better job anyways. So these are the things that that's why I'm kind of running is because I think there's a lot of stuff. Uh, wrong with the world, but that I want to be aspirational and say that we can fix these problems and that we can have an improved world. Uh, and I think that's a message that we need to do as libertarians. We can't be very doom and gloom. As sad as it, you know, as bad as some things might seem, there's still a real possibility that we can fix this and improve the world. And that's the kind of messenger that I am. I'm a, I tell liberty. So, uh, We'll touch on this then moving forward. Um, what would you say are your big three policy pushes um, that you want to see come out of this presidency um, should you win? So what are the big uh, big three things that you're looking to, to talk about? Yeah, so uh, the biggest three issues that I think face the voters, and that would have to be what your policy priority is, is first and foremost is getting inflation under control. And the way we do that is we have to cut spending. We have to balance our budget and we have to stop printing dollars out of thin air using the Fed. Uh, because what that does is it enriches the rich, it devalues the dollar for everyone else, and it makes it uh, you know, un unsustainable, this inflation that we've been going through. And so if we want to stop massive inflation, we have to be realistic about that. And what I tell Gen Z is like, listen, this this debt that we've racked up, we didn't rack it up. You know, uh, Gen Z did not rack it up. You guys did not rack it up. Millennials did a little bit, but like, uh, but mostly this is like the generations that came before us that lived an unsustainable lifestyle that really racked up the debt. And the longer we wait to start paying that down and fixing that problem, the worse it's going to be for us. So we need to do this now young because we're going to have to have recovery from that period. But the longer we wait, the worse it's going to be. And so I want to tell Gen Z now, let's go ahead and fix this problem as best we can so that the hurt is not felt on down the line post your generation even, you know, uh, Generation Alpha. I want to make sure that while Boomers and Gen X is still alive to cause the recovery that we're going to need from their overspending that's been happening the last, you know, uh, decades and decades. So that's the biggest issue, right, is getting inflation and spending under control issue is immigration. We have a massive immigration problem in this country, and it is due to government. It's due to how complicated government is made immigrating into this country using the correct processes. It has created an entire shadow economy and shadow uh, communities of people, and government is not being responsive to them. They're, they're rife for exploitation. And like, I ask myself all the time, how many illegal, quote unquote, how many undocumented wives eaten by their undocumented husbands because they don't want to go report him to the police because they know they might get deported back and that their kids might get deported back. How much exploitation and abuse is happening because of our immigration system and the way it exists? 
make it easier, less expensive, less complex, so that more people actually access the path to the pathway to immigrate here and work, and then over time become citizens and have their American dream and do the same thing that other generations have done previous. What we have now is a failure of government. It's not a failure of people. People will always be free to move. And, and as a libertarian, I believe that you're able to fr freely move yourself, your capital, your, your business, whatever you want across borders, and you should do so unencumbered. As uh, And that requires us to think about immigration in a wholly different way than what we're doing right now. And then lastly, we have to end the war on drugs. It is causing way too many victims. Our prisons are full of addicts when they shouldn't be in prison. And now we have a fentanyl crisis that is caused. It's caused by the fact that we crack down on drugs. And so drug cartels are introducing fentanyl into their easier to immigrate here because it's, you know, smaller quantity, larger output. Right. So we are creating a fentanyl crisis because of the war on drugs. That's why we have an opiate crisis in this country. And it's also has a lot to do with big pharma. We can get into that, too. But those are my big three uh, inflation immigration and the drug war and, and all the domestic of course uh this goes without saying in the imperialistic military footprint around the world it's what got me started in politics was opposing war so uh but that that's just an overarching theme um so yeah i i guess i i just cheated there and gave you four my bad it's all good um so let's say it's uh was it january 20th 2025 you've won the election um you've smacked yourself on the face a couple times realize it's all real and what is day one chase oliver look like in the presidency? uh day one is going to be called pardon day it's going to be where i start pardoning edward snowden ross ulbricht and every every drug offense that i can federally pardon and i'm going to call to go ahead and pardon every nonviolent drug offender that is in their jails right now and use the bully pulpit to do it. I'm going to shame them all on Twitter. I'm going to say, Governor Kemp, I just called you. Why haven't you done it? Governor DeSantis, I just called you and I just beat you in the election, but you're still governor of Florida, so you need to be releasing these prisoners, right? So that's the day one is the day of pardoning where I'm going to immediately speak truth to power. I'm going to start pardoning people immediately. Uh, the second thing that I'm going to start doing is I'm going to get the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the room with me, I'm going to say, we need to start reducing America's military my desk tomorrow morning. Get it done. We're going to start moving fast. My first 100 days are going to look quite different than the first 100 days of most presidents, uh, because I imagine I'm going to have a lot of hostility in Congress and people are going to be uh, uh, trying to oppose what I'm doing. Uh, and so I'm going to do everything that I constitutionally can as president by myself to act. And then I'm going to start working with Congress on the big issues that I But day one, you're going to see a lot of people getting out of jail, and chief among those will be uh, Ross Ulfrey on day one, January 20th, 2025. Uh, and Edward Snowden will be welcome to come back in this country, resume his citizenship, uh, and leave himself, you know, uh, remove himself from Russia, should he so choose, uh, with a full pardon. And uh, if anybody has a problem with that, I feel free to tell them to welcome me on a debate stage, and we'll debate it. So if Trump has a problem with it, he can debate me about it. Same with Joe Biden. Happy to tell them why it's a good idea to uh, let truth tellers and whistleblowers uh, be free. <clears throat> so I got a couple questions here. Sure. Um, we'll start with the lunatic. Um, if all executive orders were null and void, how much government is removed spending cut? I mean, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but you know, if you start executive orders, there are some instances uh, 
you know, I imagine there's some instances where it costs more and costs less. Uh, I haven't looked through every executive order that's out there, but you know, really that's the shame and uh, that, you know, that's the shame on the two party system because they've basically been governing the executive order because they've been so not, you know, dysfunctional. Uh, they haven't actually been able to pass real legislation often. And uh, what they can do with an executive order, a libertarian president can very easily undo with. And heck, I don't know if you can do the whole, you know, like when you get a genie and you wish for more wishes. I don't know if you can uh, pass an executive order that outlaws executive orders. I don't know if that can really work. Uh, but if there's some way to do it, I want to do that because I, I believe in the process that we have in passing legislation and uh, governing that way. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of things you can do. The pardon, the pardon, uh, the pardoning power is one that I'm happy to let the president keep because uh, I'll actually pardon people who just and not just, you know, political donors and, and corporate uh, benefactors and things like that. So uh, I, I will use that power wisely. But I will say this, if I'm elected president, uh, the power of the presidency starts getting reduced on day one because uh, I'm going to remove as much power as I can from every level of government that include that one. And return it back to people just like you, man, because, uh, you know, it's like Spike says, you are the power. You have the individual freedom and liberty. So uh, that would kind of be my thought process as I did this. Uh, if I were to win and I'm going to fight like hell to win. OK, um, so one question I always like to ask, especially, you know, people running these larger size campaigns. Um, what do you do to blow off steam? Like, obviously, you know, burnout's a real thing and you can get tied up with doing a billion different things all the time. Um, what's a couple of things that you do that you're like, look, it's been a long week. I just need to go do this. Oh man. Uh, I'll tell you, I love taking the dog on walks. Like it's a good way to clear their head, you know, go on a nice long couple mile walk. Uh, also that has the added benefit. Cause you know, when you're on the road, you're kind of eating junk food a lot of the time, you're getting up, going on a plane, you're not getting your steps in. So uh, that's one of the things I like to do is go to the park or take my dog on a walk to the church and, um, I'm a, like I said, I'm a huge Trekkie. Like I said earlier, I'll throw in some old episodes of Star Trek and just zone out and enjoy, you know, a little brain free time. I don't even have to watch the episodes anymore. I can just hear them in the background. I just kind of in my brain know what's happening. Uh, similarly, I'm a huge, uh, pro wrestling fan. So I watch a lot of that as well. It helps me turn off the brain from like political stuff. I, I do joke often that politics is like pro wrestling because it's two people in the ring that are, aren't really opposing that's kind of how Republicans and Democrats do it. And uh, all the voters are just the marks in the audience who, who you know, buy it up, uh, suspend their disbelief that there's actually being work done in the ring. Um, you know, not that. And I, I, I used to say that. And then I started, that's really kind of insulting to the art of pro wrestling and the fact that those people actually do sacrifice their bodies and do a lot of real work uh, to entertain us. Um, and politics isn't quite so entertaining. So, yeah, I, I have things that I do to turn my brain off. Um, exercise being the chief for the, your body. And I love to cook, man. I, I've been starting to cook a lot more uh, at home because during the pandemic, I got kind of lazy and in love with DoorDash. Uh, and, you know, I have had to pull away from that. These two way back in the day. And I'm a good old boy from the South. So give me a Southern recipe and I, I'll I'll try it out, man. There you go. Um. Oh, there's another question I have for you. Um, oh, I was going to make a comment. That's what it was. So you said that uh, modern politics isn't entertaining. I would argue that it is. Uh, watching these senile fucks 
roll their actual like limp bodies into the into the uh, into the 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 house building is I think I think it's 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 great storytelling. It just shows how pathetic as a society we've become to allow that to be the just like defining characteristic of what America's leadership should look like. When in reality, you know, there's more people that are in my age bracket and your age bracket than there are in that age bracket. And we're the generation of people who know, you know, what we need to do for the future. These are people that are just looking to pad the bank accounts. But so. we're not voting. But we're, millennials are not voting as often. Uh, Gen Z and Gen Alpha will be the same way. We'll just well, I, I well, let me just let me just uh, say some things here. First off. It would be totally entertaining the world consequences that these people have the control over life and death and uh, war and peace. And so that is actually kind of scary to me. That's more scary than entertaining. But I will say this. I loved Donald Trump when he was just the host of The Celebrity Apprentice. Like, right? Like, that is where he should have stayed. And if he had stayed there, I'd have been like, cool. Like, he can be the guy that fires meatloaf or that, like, tells Gary Busey he's doing a great job or that, like, says, like, he's got great marketing potential. Like, that's entertainment, right? And that's where he should have stayed. And like, sure, he would have been a terrible douche and whatever, um, but at least he wouldn't have his like hand on the nuclear button, right? Uh, so I prefer that these old senile people that they retire, they can have a debate show on MSNBC or Fox News or whatever, and then our grandparents can watch them, and then people are, uh, and that'd be more entertaining, I think. Uh, and so that's kind of what I'm speaking to. And then when you talk about Millennials did not vote. We're starting to vote in higher numbers as we age, because that's how age, how it usually goes. You get older, you vote more. Um, but one of the things I find actually refreshing is that Gen Z, at this same time period, millennials were not voting in the same numbers that Gen Z were. Gen Z is starting to vote in higher numbers generationally, have at the same age range. And so that gives me faith that young people are actually starting to finally pay attention more because they see how screwed they are based on what their parents and grandparents and some of their great grandparents did. So these kids are so young, they have great grandparents that were boomers. Uh, and so I think that's an indicator that young folks are starting to get more uh, attentive. And that's why one of the main thrusts of my campaign is speaking to Gen Z, because in 10 years, statistics show they're gonna be the largest voting block in this country. And if we as libertarians, to use a farming reference, if we're not sowing the seeds right now, we're not gonna have any harvest to crop in 10 years. And so we need to start speaking to Gen Z right now and getting them activated as liberty voters now. Because otherwise we're seeding the field to Republicans and Democrats. And I'll tell you, it's gonna be way harder to get those votes away from the two party system than getting them out of the two party system the first time they vote. And so I think it's important whomever our nominee is, and I'm gonna manifest that it's me, right? I'm gonna say, when I win this nomination, uh, I'm gonna be trying to activate those Gen Z, Gen Z voices in the party. Uh, so that we can really, really have a party that is more reflective of what the voting base is going to be. Because we, even as a party, are statistically a little bit older than the, what the voting base will be in the next five years. And that's something we have to come to terms with. And that's something we have to learn about marketing to and really grow our base. Because if we don't, we run the risk of becoming less and less relevant in the national discourse. And I don't want that to happen for the Libertarian Party. I want us to be relevant and growing for the next 20 or 30 years and not shrinking. And to do that, we got to hit Gen Z, man. So we'll touch on that then. Uh, so Gen Z, um, they're, they're someone you focus on heavily, which makes sense because they're the, you know, the generation that replaces us. Um, 
what are their biggest concerns politically? Are they the same as what pretty much everyone else in America is, or do they have a specific set of things that they're concerned about, things that they're looking for? Um, how, how is, as a voting demographic, how are they lining up? So in addition to the issues that I talked about earlier, there are some specific issues that are really more important to Gen Z than other generations. Uh, one of those is uh, the environment, uh, in particular, because they do care about climate change. You know, lo and behold, they're going to be here for 60 or 70 years. These 80-year-olds in Congress are not, so it's really not on their plate to worry about. Uh, but young people care about the environment. And what I stress is that government's actually not going to solve the climate change problem. They're the worst vehicle to do it. They're the most exists. The best means of innovation is the free market. And if we can free the market as much as possible, those new innovators will have the profit motive to create the green technologies of the future. You know, uh, Elon Musk didn't really need federal subsidies to create Tesla. He took them because they existed. And, you know, nobody's going to leave money on the table, but he would have had a profit motive to create electric cars regardless. Uh, there's profit motive to improve efficiency up and down the line in e nearly every industry. And so that's how we're going to save ourselves um, from a possible uh, climate catastrophe 100 or 200 years down the line if we don't fix things, is to come about human innovation. And I am confident that we can do that. I'm confident there are innovators in the marketplace that if we got regulatory, made it easier to start a business or innovate, more people would do it. And that it would expedite the speed at which we recover from any uh, problems that we're having in the environment. Another big one, education. They see education as unaffordable. Uh, whether it be higher education or even uh, trade schools or apprenticeships, they see them as very expensive and something that, you know, uh, and right now what's making it more expensive is the fact that the government out of the $1.8 trillion of student loan, 1.7 trillion of them are right now held by the federal back by the federal government. And so when you have that artificial hand in the marketplace, it allows for rising prices, get government out of student loans and out of the business altogether. And you're going to see lowering of tuitions because colleges will have to compete against each other. You won't just be getting a loan for anything. Banks will actually have to look at the viability of getting paid back. And over time, that's going to lower the cost of tuition, the cost of uh, a higher education. And so that's something that somebody certainly might stuck in the student loan debt crisis right now. We don't want to pass that along to Gen Z as well. And so those are two huge issues that I think are important. And I think one thing that distinctly makes them different is that Gen Z is going to be more empathic than past generations to diversity. The fact that there are people who live their lives differently than themselves and have a different life story and a different vision for what their life is. And whether it be across faiths, across races, across sexuality or gender expressions, Gen Z is more welcoming and open to the idea that people might not be like themselves. Be okay with that. And I think that's something that we maybe need to take backwards and generations backwards. Maybe they're from the, from the uh, mouth of babes comes wisdom, right? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one thing I did want to ask, uh, follow up on, um, was the part where you're talking about, you know, just letting banks determine who gets loans by, you know, merit and all that. Makes sense. I'm totally on board with that. Um, I guess my question would be to, um, for like the people who would ask, you know, people who went or would go to college for like a liberal arts degree, a lot of banks won't see those as a high rate of return. For those industries so like art majors and stuff like that they're obviously not going to come out and make you know a million dollars um or like you know make a solid paycheck like a brain surgeon or a mechanic or something like that would so you know do you think that there would be 
a threat to like liberal arts colleges or like those kind of like liberal arts degrees that may not be producing um, high income workers or do you think it'll be the same? Yeah, so here's what I think is uh, if you get the government out of the marketplace, those tuition prices are going to fluctuate and lower or rise as they need to, right? Like uh, the price of medical school should be more expensive than a liberal arts education, right? Because you're going to have a higher rate of return. Uh, that, that is how marketplaces work. And so what you're going to now see is you're going to see liberal arts education, which is currently being artificially able to keep their tuition high because the, the government will back just any, any and all these loans. Well, they're going to have to go, hey, we're not going to get the value in our return. So we're going to have to lower our cost of tuition. We're going to have to start competing in the marketplace. And so that's actually going to create real market forces that will lower the cost of education where it's artificially high. But also some schools might actually increase the price of their costs because they're going to say, hey, when you get a degree from here, this is the average price you're going to make when you get a degree from us because we're esteemed. We have the best teachers or whatever. And you're going to have real marketplace competition as opposed to just a federally backed loan system, which uh, really produces rising tuition costs that just rise way faster than the rate of inflation. Uh, if you look at a chart of the things that have gotten more expensive, uh, even faster than the rate of inflation, the two things are healthcare and education are the biggest sectors of the economy. And both coincidentally, the areas that government has its hand in the most with regulatory agencies uh, and, and putting the hand in the free market. So uh, I think that's where we need to really start chipping away the regulatory framework so that we can actually have these industries, you know, working with free market principles as opposed to uh, kind of these semi-command. Okay, I'm down with it. Uh, one thing we should all address is what the Libertarian Lady says, which is go to votechaseoliver.com. You can get a shirt just like this one, or we got a whole bunch of other ones too. If you wanna, if you wanna be wearing uh, and helping advertise as you walk around too but yeah go to votechaseoliver.com got uh, all my issues up there all my press releases uh like my most with cop city in atlanta i'd love to talk to you about that a little bit uh we i was i participated in what ended up being 14 hours of public comment at atlanta city hall this uh training facility that'll be the largest police training facility in the country and uh you know it basically is uh, going to help militarize police here in Georgia and all over the country. So, yeah, so there you got my, um, or I did a full response to the State of the Union earlier this year. There's all the media I've been getting, uh, and you can check out all my issues there. And we even have a store, and yeah, get signed up, volunteer, uh, become a donor supporter, help me travel around the country and poke a thumb in the eye of authoritarianism all over the country. Um, but yeah, we have a full store with lots of cool stuff there. Um, and yeah, you can chase liberty or chase opportunity or chase freedom. Uh, and, you know, I, uh, I encourage folks to sign up at the website so they can see what I'm doing because I'm a very active you and really I'm being super active in this primary process. So that way you guys know that once I get this nomination, my foot's going to hit the gas and we're going to go, you know, we're already going like 60 miles an hour. When I get this nomination, we're going to hit 120 miles an hour and just be zooming through, uh, and, and taking it to, uh, you know, the, uh, yeah, that's my most recent press release dealing with the militarization of police. And I want to say to folks, uh, this issue is not just important in Atlanta and in Georgia, uh, but this, like I said, it's going to be the largest police training facility in the country. And departments all over the country are going to be flocking to Atlanta to pay the private Atlanta Police Foundation 
money to be able to learn how to crack down uh, and militarize their police and crack down on populations uh, back at home. So I uh, would urge libertarians of every uh, to help me oppose this. And what they voted to approve the funding, $67 million wasted on this facility. Uh, but Jesus. what we can do now as libertarians are people who are organizing right now to pass a referendum and get it on the ballot in November 2024 uh, to, or uh, I believe this November actually, to oppose the leasing of the land. Uh, and let's leave it up to the voters, skip the city council and mayor altogether. Let's do this via referendum. But to do that, we got to get 70,000 signatures in 60 days. And if you're a libertarian, you know how challenging ballot access can be and getting signatures can be. So I'm, I'm making a call right now. If you're a libertarian who can get to Atlanta, Georgia, help organize with the Libertarian Party of Atlanta and the Libertarian Party of Georgia to get to Atlanta and door knock for signatures because we need to stop this facility. It is a matter of, will literally be a matter of life and death. It will be a matter of whether there's a boot on the neck of people or not. And we as libertarians need to be visible activists. And I'm sure you're not going to agree with the economics of a lot of the other people in this coalition. There's a lot of socialists might not agree with them on economics, but we can at least agree that militarized police suck. And if we can just form around that one idea and organize, we can get this on the ballot and we can have a substantive win for liberty in Atlanta that will resonate across the country. So I just, sorry to rant there for a minute, but I did want to have to throw that out there and encourage libertarians. I'm making a call to you right now. Be visible. Let's get offline, touch some grass and be activists because that's when we're going to be the most effective. Now, I've been to City Hall a few times to speak out. I've been protesting uh, this facility for quite a while. And I'll tell you right now, I'm probably the most popular in the city right now because I'm doing this. Uh, so you can do this, too. You can be active in your own communities, in your own ways, too. So sorry to rant again. <laughs> You're all good, man. Uh, dude, so I've seen a blueprint, like a proposed blueprint of that cop city. So it didn't have like a label or anything on it. The first thing I seen was this massive blueprint. And I was like, Jesus, they're building a new college in Atlanta or like something. I was like, it's like a shopping mall or a college. It's huge. And uh, you start reading, like you start scrolling down and then all of a sudden you see like, oh, this is Cop City, this, 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 and this, and this. And they're like, oh, what are they, like that's, it's, it's larger than some military bases. People don't they understand, have, like it's, it's huge. They have an entire mock city block, so that way they can learn how to crack down door by door through neighborhoods. Uh, they're basically taking the anti-insurgency tactics that were learned in the war on terror in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they're now bringing those things, they're importing them back. And if that doesn't scare the crap out of you, man, if that doesn't make you worried about what our future is going to look like, this is the first you know, this is the first uh, domino to fall in this militarized police that we're looking at. This is the first mega facility that's being built. But if we allow it to be built, if we allow it to go forward and we don't have a citizen response and we don't try to stop this at the ballot box, uh, it's just going to be the first of many that's going to be built. You're going to see these being built on the West Coast, all through middle America, because uh, this is what they're going to do to start cracking down on populations. And so I don't want to see insurgency, anti-insurgency tactics brought from the battle back home domestically. And that's what we're opposing here with Cop City. So, like, uh, you know, it's kind of a hometown issue for me. I'm here in Atlanta. But like I said, this is going to have ramifications all over the country. Um, and, you know, possibly all over the world. Who's to say that police departments from around the world won't come and train at this facility? So 
uh, for us to speak out loud and clear. I'm, you know, do it too. If anybody from the National Party is listening to this, issue a condemnation because we need this is a, this is not just a Georgia issue. This is a national nationwide issue. Yeah. Is it so? I, I don't know the whole story behind it. Is this replacing one of the current police departments, or is this like a brand new thing because they're like they're growing, or what's like what's what's their justification for this facility? So, police had another facility where they trained in Atlanta, but over time they did not maintain that property well. The property ended up crumbling. It's basically not points. They moved their training to an abandoned uh, elementary school, which is where they're currently training, and so they said that's justification. Uh, for the city to give, you know, so the way it's supposed to have been, the way we were sold originally is, oh, the city will only pay 30 million of the $90 million cost. The other two thirds will come from the private Atlanta Police Foundation through through donors, a lot of whom are big corporate donors who really have no interest uh, on individual human rights. They just want to make sure uh, it's easy for police to crack down on folks. Uh, but anyway, so we were promised that we were only going to be paying 30 million and it's really the other issue is that where this is being built this land huge swath of green space in atlanta atlanta has the largest tree canopy per capita of any major metropolitan area in the country we call ourselves a city among the trees and so we take pride in that green space it also helps keep our air quality high for a metro area um for a major metropolitan area this land was originally Native American land stolen from them was then turned into a working farm for prisoners, uh, many of whom were people who were punished under Jim Crow. They were civil rights uh, activists. Stokely Carmichael is probably the most famous one who was imprisoned there to do hard labor. Uh, and then in seventeen, the Atlanta City Council said, you know what? This land has been used to abuse. We're just going to leave it as green space in perpetuity. And perpetuity is supposed to mean forever. But post the George Floyd protests in 2020, the Atlanta City Council wanted to suck up to the uh, police department. And so they offered this huge tract of land to be clear cut, uh, this huge forest, um, and and spend millions of dollars. And we thought $30 million. Well, it comes to light that actually for 30 years, we're going to be paying $1.2 million a year to, le to lease back the land that we gave them for a very inexpensive price. So the total price tag of the taxpayer will actually be $67 million. And again, it is far less expensive to just go retrofit and fix the facilities that they'd already left crumbling. And also who's to say that once we spend $67 million in this facility, they won't treat that bad and crumbling in a few years and have to build another freaking cop city. And so to me, it, they don't have the trust earned because they haven't taken care of the property that we already built for them with taxpayer money. Uh, they are, destroying historically abused you know land that has been historically used to abuse people uh and that was in space so government is walking back on a previous promise that they made and they're doing this in a way that lacks transparency we ended up seeing that it cost twice as much as they told us and lo and behold a lot of the city council are funded by the same people who fund the atlanta police foundation and oh they were like well, well don't worry you guys we're going to have two members of the Atlanta City Council sit on the board of the Atlanta Police Foundation because that won't further entrench government and private law enforcement uh, agencies together. That won't further allow them to say, well, I have a bias and a reason to now want to crack down and abuse on further people. Further entrenches their relationship and makes it worse. And they acted like that was something great that they gave us. That's just an example of how stupid government thinks we are. 
And so I'm working to try to organize and get everybody who voted yes to find a worthy candidate who can win in their area to run against them in 2025 when we have our next elections. And I'm going to be, uh, hopefully as president, using the bully pulpit to make sure that those folks I'm doing, I will be organizing for change at the local level here in Atlanta, because this is a spit in the face of every law-abiding citizen. Yeah, it's pretty fucking disgusting, if I have to be honest. It's not something I favor. Um, I mean, I'm at most, I would like to see a sheriff at most ever, and then maybe a couple deputies. I'm from rural Tennessee, so that would be feasible here. I don't know about Atlanta. Um, but, I mean, you could always go back to a sheriff style, whatever, something or other. But, anyways, um, one thing Lunatic did say also, as well, is triple it. They will always go over budget. Obviously, um, nobody... And so, here's, we'll touch on this. So, it will all... Almost always, any government project always goes over budget because that's the nature of government work. And two, I've never seen a government building that would look that looked well maintained that wasn't strictly a DC office building. So, like you know, military uh, facilities, which the military has the highest budget on the planet of anything, and even military barracks look like shit. The equipment looks like junk. I mean, everything's falling apart. So to sit there and say that we need a new facility because we're going to do to this one that we did to the old one, it doesn't make sense. When when a third of the budget could obviously, or whatever the percentage is, could re, you know, redo the old buildings, that makes, that makes all the sense in the world, but they're not about making sense. It's once again, this embezzling scheme where they're using taxpayer dollars to build this massive monstrosity and get kickbacks from people wanting it built. Yeah, well, and, and also, you know, there's a profit motive for the Atlanta police and other departments come to train here who, who's going to make the money for that? It's not like the city of Atlanta is going to get recouped from that and they're going to get more money in the tax coffers uh, or in the revenue side. They're, no, that goes to the private Atlanta Police Foundation. So it's like, it's it's almost like the movie Robocop where like, pri- you know, where they basically bought citizens are going to get really screwed. Uh, spoiler alert, that does, doesn't end well for citizens. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, there's also other, you know, things the fact that they're putting an outdoor shooting range like near an elementary school. So like these elementary school kids, when they're on the playground, they're going to have the noise pollution of a freaking gun range, which I'm telling you right now, in low income areas of Atlanta, there's already a fire that these kids have to surround themselves around and hear. So to be further adding to that by putting a police training facility right there in the shooting range uh, within earshot of an elementary school, it's just a further spit in the face of that local community. And these are the people who are most opposed to it. The people in Buckhead who are millionaires, you know, they, they're happy to have Cop City. And Mary Norwood, their representative, is the biggest proponent of it. Well, build it in your backyard, then putting it down here where all the poor folks live. I mean, you know, it, it's just, it, it, and, and the community who really doesn't want it the most. And it just seems like they're trying to punish these people for just living and existing. Uh, and that's what a police state brings, man. And I, I just can't jive with that. I'm all about freedom. And uh, as our police, is antithetical to that. So again, I'm calling on libertarians of every stripe, all candidates at every level to oppose this and to say so forcefully because we need that. Uh, we need to be unified as a party against this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, all, this stuff is just, it's horrendous because every single day it seems like you're turning on the news and you're watching some cop beat someone to death for something useless or like, you know, selling a single cigarette, or like, you know, having a jar of moonshine, whatever the hell it is this week. And it, 
There has to be something that changes. Obviously, spending more money isn't going to fix it. We've done that with education for the last 20 years, and it hasn't fixed shit. And it's obviously not going to fix, uh, you know, policing. So, what, um, I mean, I, I know qualified immunity will be a big talking point about, you know, fixing policing. Is there anything else that you think that we can do that will, that will really, um, I guess not put uh, reins on the police, but like, you know, help get it back to a, 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 an organization designed to protect and serve the people and not the government? Easy things that local departments could do all over the country. Uh, the first one is mandate body camps for every department, every law enforcement department. Uh, during the Cop City protest, there was a, uh, a protester, uh, his nickname is Tortutiga, which means little turtle murdered by police, you know, and autopsy shows that it was likely that they were sitting cross-legged with their hands up when they were shot. They had 57 entry and exit wounds. Uh, so they were, they were really lit up by the police. And this was, uh, they were shot by Georgia state patrol. Georgia state patrol does not have mandated body cams on them. They have cam or they have cameras in their cars because they say, well, we, we mostly do stuff on the highway. So most everything gets caught on that. But the truth is, is like uh, over a third of the shootings that have involved the GSP over the last decade have happened out of the camera shot. Uh, you know, it either happened, you know, to the left or the right of the car or whatever. So where they were not able to be visible. So we need to have mandate body cams for every officer because that allows it to no longer be he said, she said when things happen. You have a visible record. Also, uh, we've caught police using body cams who thought they turned their body cam off and it revealed they were actually implanting evidence of drugs on people. So it keeps the police honest as well. Um, but it also, when officers doing their job, they can say, I was doing everything in my, my power to do the things the right way. Things went sideways because of this and now I have a visual record. So that actually protects officers, increases trust. The other big thing is we should be mandating that law enforcement officers carry an insurance policy for liability. So that way when they do wrong, uh, and let's say we do fully get rid of qualified immunity, when that day in court happens, the settlement doesn't come out of the taxpayers. They have to like say reduce services elsewhere, or reduce what they're doing elsewhere uh, and, or, or run a deficit. No, that settlement will come out of the insurance company. And what happens when you get settlements too many times from the insurance company? The premiums raise up, departments will say, hey man, you've had two complaints against you and they've had to settle out. We can't hire you because you're uninsurable. We can't pay out the premiums, it's too expensive. And that is a market force that gets bad cops off the beat. Because if they do something wrong, they get sued. Well, sorry, pal, you're not insurable anymore. You can't do this job. You have to go do another job that doesn't require you to have a badge and authority and a gun that could kill somebody. You need to do a job where you, because you're not to be trusted doing that because you can't be insured to do it. That's a market force to get off the beat. Uh, and actually, again, increase community trust and policing, right? They can, if you can go to your department and you can see how many liability uh, settlements have been pulled by that department. You can know, okay, these, this is a this is a well-functioning department that actually is looking to serve the interests of its public, or this is a department that has real troubles and really needs to be reformed and have new leadership put in because they people and it's costing and and they can't you know they they uh, they can't do their job because they're uninsurable. So those are two things very easy to pass across the country. Mandate body cameras, mandate liability insurance, in addition to the end of qualified immunity side of things. Um, but that's just the police. There's a lot of other justice reform that happens, uh, like mandatory minimums, ending those things, ending the death penalty. There's a lot of areas of justice reform we could work on. But you know, when it comes to police accountability, these are easy steps, again, 
that you could pass in departments and localities all over the country, even in rural Tennessee. Uh, you could mandate that your officers have body cams and carry insurance policies. So that way uh, it don't come out of, uh, you know, th that way they don't go, well, we got because uh, we had to pay those giant settlements out last year. Well, Chase, if uh, all uh, people liked what they heard from you tonight or if they're interested more about your campaign, how can they uh, find out more about you? Um, obviously, there's a website, votechaseoliver.com, but where else can people find you? So you can find me on Twitter at uh, Chase for Liberty. That's also my uh, Instagram handle. Uh, and Chase Oliver Dash Libertarian is my Facebook. I'm also on TikTok. I know at some point down the line I will be doing an Ask Me Anything on Reddit, but that's kind of up and you know that's that'll happen sometime in the future. But really, the place to find me most is uh, Twitter uh, and Instagram at Chase for Liberty and Facebook Chase Oliver Libertarian and uh, Chase for Liberty again on TikTok as well. If you're a part of Gen Z and you like TikTok, so we're we're making sure every generation is represented from the Facebooks all the way down to the TikToks. Is that is TikTok a Gen Z thing? It's uh, it is a well. I mean, I use it, and I'm a millennial, so maybe. Um, I mean, everybody uses TikTok, but in real, like reality, I think it's uh, yes. yeah. The real Gen Z apps are TikTok and Snapchat. I don't have a campaign Snapchat. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I'm not going to give you Snapchat. I'll give you TikTok. I won't give you Snapchat. Snapchat's been around since since I was in high school. Well, that's just what the ones that uh, that's just the ones that the kids are using these days. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I mean, I was just in there thinking, like, we're, <clears throat> Susie and I, we're on everything as well. Facebook, Twitter, uh, TikTok, TikTok Instagram. Instagram. I, I barely use Instagram. I mean, <laughs> you know, we've got a foot site for Susie's OnlyFans or whatever. <laughs> we just call it OnlyFins. We, we make her wear flippers. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um. How do you like in TikTok? I, I, I like asking people this question because it's, you get varied answers. So how, what do you think about TikTok? I mean, I, I mean, I will say this. Their algorithm is quite specific, man. Like they're very good. Like if I see a video, I'm like, man, I wish I could see that video from another angle. It's like three or four scrolls. I'm like, there's the video from the other angle. And so I will say, I don't know who does their algorithms, but they're pretty cool. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I love uh, the, the viral nature the fact that for like three weeks, the entire like TikTok community was singing about corn last year, uh, right? So like, there's these viral moments, right? Uh, that so I really love like the quick nature of it. Uh, you know, to me, it, it does feel very dynamic. So I, I enjoy TikTok. It's uh, it's funny because it's so addictive, and you look at it when you first look at it, you're like, this is stupid. There's no way this thing will last. And the lip syncing. The lip syncing. No! <laughs> Susan's bad about the lip syncing on there. It's pretty bad. It's 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 bad. Um, but yeah, I got uh, the I got the margarita song stuck in my feed right now. So ah, the margarita <laughs> song. <laughs> I, I think you found a partner in your Margaritaville. <laughs> well, yeah, um, man, I want to say, man, I appreciate so much you to come out here and uh, speak with y'all and. Uh, and hopefully folks are liking what they're hearing. And, and again, if you want, if you're liking what you see, check me out on social media, check out the website. Cause uh, we'd love to have you as a member of our campaign. I got a hundred volunteers in 40 States so far. I'd like to make that 200 volunteers in 50 States. So if you guys can make that happen out there, uh, I'd really appreciate it. And uh, I'll work really hard for you. I promise. That's awesome. Chase, I appreciate you coming on tonight. It's been fun and uh, we'll look forward to 
what the future has in store for you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You have a good night. Peace, love, and liberty. Well, the trifecta is complete, and then some guy from Colorado. Um, I, I really enjoyed Chase. Uh, we, uh, Susie and I actually hung out with him at a bar in Reno, yeah. and uh, we actually posted some pictures of it. There was a this weird statue flower yeah, made thing. A meme of it. Yeah, Susie made a meme of it, and it, it went around for a little while. It, it's it was one of the weirdest environments I've ever been in, but it was so cool because it was like outside of my normal uh, environment, which is like typically like a sports bar where there's like sports on the. It TV was a gay bar. You can say it was a gay bar. I mean, it was a gay yeah. bar. I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah. It, was, it was cool. Yeah. Also, the cheapest alcohol I drank all weekend, or all week, no joke. Like by far, a lot cheaper. It was amazing. Um, well, I mean, like the whole vibe was like kind of like. I loved it. It's like dungeony. It was, it was pretty cool. Like, you, you literally had to go downstairs to get to it. But it was, it was pretty cool. I liked it. Like, you were in a basement and someone on acid decorated it. I don't know if y'all heard that. But she said it's like a basement if you decorated it while on acid. Which I think is that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. And then we, we wandered around. We went to a... We walked in the freezing cold. We wandered know. in, like, the rain and cold and shit and to, a, like, two or three casinos. Just got lost and said, you know what? And then I missed my flight. The end. <laughs> and Susie missed her flight back home. The end. So. All right. Well, go check out Chase Oliver, uh, his, his website. Um, go check him out on Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Anywhere he's at. Um... Go do the thing. Um, shows are being planned out quite a ways. Um, I will say, moving forward, it's going to be a little bit more hectic, and I may have to start doing pre-recorded episodes um, because we will have four kids, hopefully, in Whee! this apartment uh, this summer, and it's they're all they will all be home around filming time. So. Uh, We'll see what the future holds. We're not going to stop doing it. Stop crying. You. I see you. Maybe so. we'll have a couple of mine. Charlotte would love it. We may, we may do a, a baby's episode where, where I interview children about pop. Ooh. Ooh, babe. I interview children about politics. I like it. We might do that. Dakota <laughs> says, baby <laughs> drill. <laughs> uh. But anyways, good night, good liberty. Uh, appreciate all y'all, uh, except for Dakota. No, I love Dakota. He's an awesome dude. Um, you know what? We're going to kick it a little old school. We'll, uh... What are we doing? Peace. And Fox San Antonio's... Sunshine was shining together. Told you I'd be here forever. Said I'll always be a friend. Took a note. Sing it out to the end. Now that it's.